Well, I wanted to start off with a story that I read about. It's a news story, uh, so you should be enjoy, thoroughly enjoy this, right? How many of you like watching the news? Uh, there's about half, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, this, is, this came a couple years ago. I read it. I uh, was fascinated by it, and it's about a town in Georgia called Centerville. Uh, Centerville is about 5,000 people, so about half the size of Mexico. Uh, and what's fascinating about this town is that they have 48 different Presbyterian churches in this town of 5,000. Uh, the newly, there was a newly, when the news story came out, I wanted to say everything as if it was last week, but remember it was a couple years ago because I'm thinking about the news story itself. Uh, when the news story was written, uh, there was a brand new church. Uh, the name of the church was the, I'm going to get this, okay? Uh, Presbyterian Trinity Reformed Oh, I forget what that C is. Uh, West, oh, Covenantal, Westminsterial, Sabbatarian Regulative, uh, Credo Communist, uh, Ah Millennial, Presuppositionalist Church of Centerville. All right, so for our services today, we're going to call it PTRCWSRCCAPCC for short. All right, so that's the name of the church. All right, and it comes about with 47 different splits in its history. All right, the church originally started with one Presbyterian church uh, in, in uh, 1899. Uh, there was about 20 families, and this church grew uh, between 1899 to 1911 uh, to be about 150 different people. And in 1911, uh, there, there was a dispute, all right, and the dispute uh, was over whether the offering should be taken before the sermon or after the sermon. Right, and it got to the point where, you know what, they just decided to split. And there was a new church, the uh, Centerville Reformed Presbyterian Church. All right, it, it came out of, from that. Uh, and that church split in 1915 uh, over whether or not there should be flowers in the sanctuary or not. And some people said yes. Other people said no. The ones that said no went off and formed the Trinitarian uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church. Uh, and it had about 25 people uh, in that. Uh, there were a couple more splits between 1915 and 1929 uh, until in 1931, uh, the 7th uh, Presbyterian Reformed Covenantal Church of Centerville uh, issue, had an issue that they didn't know. It's not really recorded why they split, but it just split. All right, and what became was, was nine members uh, forming the 3rd Westminster uh, Trin Trinity. Sorry, there's a lot of names here. Trinity uh, Covenantal Presbyterian Reformed Church of Centerville. All right, that's a lot of words, <laughs> okay? Uh, there were splits between 31, 1931 to 1975. Uh, in 1975, that's when the Presbyterian Church U.S. Uh, merged with the Presbyterian Church USA. USA. Uh, one is, one is uh, well, one's liberal and one was conservative. They merged together, and so, so the church split over whether or not they should join that church or not. Uh, Fifteen members formed the St. John's Presbyterian Church. The next week they, they split because they weren't sure if they wanted saint in the name. All right, and so there was a split from that. So uh, more occurred. Eventually we got to this big name, this PTRCWSRCCAPCC, right, and they were excited in this news article. All right, there was a teaching elder there by the name of Paul Davis. He's quoted in this article as saying, we finally got it right. We finally have 100% doctrinal uh, purity. Uh, and he's also quoted as saying they were up to six members and they were hoping to grow. <laughs> All right, now, 
And I say that to say this. That was a satirical uh, news article. It didn't really exist. There's not really 48 churches in Centerville, Georgia. But we laugh at that. And we laugh at it because we probably believe that is true, right? I mean, we can read that story and be like, wow, I can't believe they did that. Right, but we, we think that it's true. We think that it can be possible. Okay? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're continuing our series that we've called Jesus Uncensored. Uh, we're looking at some of these tough things that Jesus said that we truly believe should radically change the way in which we live. All right, and so today we're going to be talking about unity. Uh, we're going to be looking in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I would encourage you to turn to John 17 today. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 20. A uh, little bit of background as you're turning there. Um, a couple weeks ago, we talked from a passage in John 14. Uh, this was, uh, uh, there's five chapters there, John seven, 13 to John 17, uh, that uh, are some of the most profound teachings that we find uh, of Jesus in the book of John. Uh, and this is a very important part of his life. Jesus is talking to his disciples at uh, the Last Supper, the last meal he will share with his disciples before he's arrested and crucified. All right, and so he's giving them final instructions. And so in John 17, uh, we get to uh, a prayer that Jesus prays at the end of all this instructions. And it's called the High Priestly Prayer, okay? So, or sometimes it's called the Lord's Prayer, all right? But that kind of gets confusing, confusing with what we find in Matthew chapter uh, I think six or seven, uh, where we, what we normally call the Lord's Prayer, the one that we can all quote, uh, or most of us can quote at least, or we've heard at some point in time. All right, so this is called the high priestly prayer to distinguish the two. Uh, so John 17 is this high priestly prayer, and basically Jesus, at the beginning of the chapter, is praying for himself, all right, because he's going to be facing the cross, and he knows it, and so he's praying for strength from God. Uh, and then he'll turn to praying for his disciples, uh, and then here in chapter, in verse 20, uh, Jesus is turning his prayer uh, towards something else. And so I just want to read uh, the first two verses. I'm going to read the first one and then talk about it and then the second one. All right, and so it, his prayer goes like this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. All right, so uh, Jesus is focusing his prayer. He's changing his prayer not only to the disciples, not only to himself, but to those who are going to believe through their message. And so what he's praying there, uh, if we can just break that down, is basically anyone who listens to the disciples as they're going to go out, and Jesus knows that they're going to go out and to talk to people about Jesus. Uh, He says that when other people believe, that's who I want to pray for right now. So if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you believe that Jesus is from God, uh, this is a prayer for you. All right, so Jesus is thinking about you uh, in particular uh, in this prayer. And in this prayer, he's going to pray for one thing, and that we find in verse 21. Uh, The rest of the prayer is basically re-talking about that. In verse 21, we read that uh, this, that all of them may be one. So he's praying that for those who I'll just read it all. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for them who will believe in me through their message, verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. All right, and so Jesus' prayer in, in verse 21, uh, he's praying for us and he's praying for something specifically. He's praying that we be one. All right? And this is a unity in relationship. All right, this is having one common goal, one common mind, working together. All right? and, and he's praying for, for this uni- united church. All right? But we see when we look at the church, universal, not necessarily just at Kentucky Road, but universally, uh, we have failed at this horribly. 
I mean, we, we laugh at that story that I talked about to introduce this subject, but we laugh because it's sort of true, right? You know, we have seen or heard of churches that have divided over all kinds of different stuff. And it's just a part of the makeup of the church in a way. Right? And it's sad that this is the case because Jesus' prayer before he goes and dies on the cross for our sins is that we would be united. Now, uh, this isn't a new problem. All right? The church, uh, even in the New Testament, uh, seems to be, have disunity within it. All right, we get to Acts chapter 15. All right, Acts chapter 2 is when the church is established with the Holy Spirit coming down upon the uh, apostles and maybe 120 other people. And they go out and they talk to people about Jesus. And we have 3,000 that are baptized. So that's Acts chapter 2. All right, it takes 13 chapters for the church to become disunited. All right, and, and, and this disunity is, is happens because there are some people uh, that are believing that and teaching that you have to be a good Jew to be a good Christian. All right? But there's a lot of non-Jewish Christians in the world. And so when they heard this, they were confused and they, were, they didn't know what to do. And so there was disunity. And even when the apostles said, hey, this is not true, we find that uh, these Jewish Christians uh, were going out and still teaching what they were teaching. All right? And there was disunity within the church between uh, an ethnic group, one the Jewish and the Gentiles. All right? And that's in Acts 15. And then throughout most of the rest of Acts, uh, we see uh, in Corinth that there is a ton of disunity. All right, Paul is going to write a, a letter to, First Corinth, or to, Corinthian, to the Corinthians. It's called 1 Corinthians. And he opens up the letter like this in chapter 1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in, your, in what you say, and that there be no divisions. Okay, you hear that. There's disunity. There's divisions. And he's, he's asking that they have no divisions among them but that you be perfectly united in mind and thoughts. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And here's what they're fighting over. He says, what I mean is this. As one of you say, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, who is Peter. Uh, still another, I follow Christ. And Paul asks this question of them. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And Paul is, 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 is fighting this division that's even in the early church. And this, uh, this unity, uh, it doesn't stop at 1 Corinthians. You know, it almost seems like uh, disunity is synonymous with the church. I mean, we can just take a brief look at history of the church uh, just to, to kind of see the disunity. You know, theologians rise in the church and, and there might be, excuse me, a, a great mind over here and a great mind over there. And they will just argue with each other to the point where one of them calls them a heretic and the other one says, oh yeah, you're a heretic too. And they fight and they try to, it divides the church over who agrees with who. And that's just historically. We see, uh, we see uh, in, in the Diocletian persecutions, right? Diocletian was an emperor and he issued the first universal persecution of the church. And he says everybody has to uh, worship our Roman gods. We need to get back to the foundation of who we are as Romans. And so they made everyone, even the Christians in particular, uh, give up their, their sacred writings and to 
worship their gods. And so uh, we see in Africa, uh, the, the people are doing this. There's some Christians that are going, they're bringing their Bibles and they're burning their Bibles and they're paying uh, to sacrifice to the Roman gods. And then we see a group of other Christians, and, and they do this, and they say this in their writings. They say, we did this because we knew it's not true. We don't believe these gods exist. We're just doing it to escape the persecution. And then you have these other Christians that didn't do any of that. And it results in a divided church in Africa for generations between the ones who gave up uh, their, their Bibles and the ones who didn't. And that's in that early 300s, 400s A.D.s. Right, and so we have a lot of division within the church. Uh, we look now into our own history, and we see that, that there are over 40,000 different denominations in the church. That's a lot of differing opinions, and there's a lot of reasons for that. There's division, even in our own movement. movement. Man, it must be one of those days. Even in our own movement, we're part of the restoration movement. One of our cries of our early founders was union and truth. All right, we wanted to, we, we, the, the, the early founders of the restoration movement saw the disunity within the church and said, we need to be united. We need to be different. All right, and so they, they came together and they said, we need to be united in truth. And what we see is that even in our, in our movement, which is a union movement, uh, we see disunity. Uh, we had the non-instrumentalists who divided from those who think it's okay to play instruments in church. You can figure out which one we are. All right. We had a division between the, the, the disciples of Christ and the non-denominationalists. So even in our movement, which is a union movement, we're trying to be united, we have division. All right. The church does not seem to be united. But Jesus' prayer back here in John chapter 17 is what? I pray that they will be one. No, Jesus' prayer in John 17 is that we be one with one another. So why does that not happen? Well, I want to offer up to you four different reasons why people often divide within the church. There's probably multiples of others, but these are the four big ones, I think. And the first one is a preference division. And what I mean by that is one, what we see here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, some say, I follow Peter, some say I follow Paul, some say I follow Apollos, and they're preferring one guy over another. Why? Well, we're not really told why, but my assumption is this. Peter preaches a little bit differently than Apollos preaches, and Apollos preaches differently than Paul, and Paul preaches differently than even Jesus preached. And these people, they're preferring one person over another because of what they preach, maybe even uh, what they're focusing on, okay? It's not that these guys taught different things, but maybe one of them taught grace more than the other. Maybe one of them taught about mercy. Uh, maybe one of them is teaching about I don't know what. Right? And they just like what they say and like what they talk about, like their examples that they give. You know, maybe that is what the division really is coming down to. All right? But it's a preference. It's all about what I want. All right? And this is what we see in that opening story. It's all about preference. The reason why they were dividing was over silly stuff like flowers in the sanctuary. Who really cares? All right? But we see about people, uh, we hear about churches that split over the color of carpet. Or the piano bench, whether it should be moved or not. You know, there, there's all kinds of preference issues that cause division within the church. And I think that this is an issue. This is a problem. Right? This should not be an issue. 
You know, it, ultimately, as long as it's not uh, a scriptural thing, you know, it really doesn't matter. It, it shouldn't matter to us. You know, ultimately, when we make our preferences a division issue, uh, it is because we're not focusing on who we truly should be focusing on. You know, we're focusing on ourselves rather than on the one who came and saved us. And I think that is what we see when we get here. And I think that Jesus and Peter and, and everybody would have said the exact same thing that Paul said. Is Christ divided? What are you doing? This makes no sense. And I think that is one of the things that we often get caught up in. Uh, another thing that I think uh, divides us is an ethnic division or a national division. And I think this, this is a major problem even in the church in America. All right? uh, we see it happening in the church in the, in the ancient world as well. All right? The Jews and the Gentiles, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, there was division among them. And why was there division? Well, because one was a Jew and one was a Gentile. That was it. All right? And it, it's not that surprising. You know, the first Christians, they were all Jewish. And so entering into a new world with Gentiles, they were bringing in their social prejudice into this church as well. And I think that it's an issue that we face here. I mean, look around. I mean, just, just look around real quick. I mean, how many Hispanics are in here today? How many Africans are here today? How many Asians? How many Middle Easterners? How many? Why not? Are they not here in mid-Missouri? I know that's not true. I mean, just go to... Dos Arcos. I mean, there's a lot, and, and anywhere. There's Hispanics here. There's African Americans here. Why are they not here? And I'm not saying this to indict you because it's not just a Kentucky Road problem. It's a problem for the church in general. I mean, we have an ethnic division within the church, and this is an issue. It should not be. And the reason why it shouldn't be is because of something. John writes in Revelation, John, in Revelation uh, chapter 7, I believe, John says, After this I looked, and bef there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from every tribe, every people, and every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And what John says here is that one day there is going to be a celebration in heaven before the throne of God, before the Lamb of God, who is Jesus, and it's going to consist of everyone. So if it's going to consist of everyone in heaven, why are we divided here on earth? Now we need to be united. The kingdom of God transcends ethnicity. It transcends nations and boundaries and all that stuff. Our kingdom that we should be fighting for is the church of God. No other kingdom. And the division that we see within the church, the ethnic division, should not exist. But it does. Not only do we see uh, ethnic division, but we also see divisions over sin issues. And what I mean by that is not necessarily that we're sinners, because we're all sinners, okay? But over which sins 
are acceptable. And within the church, there are sins that we look at and we're like, yeah, that's not that bad. And we accept them. I mean, pick your sin. Gluttony. You know, we struggle with that. I, I struggle with that. But it's acceptable. How many of us talk, how many of you have heard a sermon on gluttony? One person or two people, a couple people, okay. But it's in a sin that's acceptable, right? How about sexuality? You know, as long as it's not over-the-top sinfulness, it's kind of acceptable, right? I mean, we, we don't usually condemn people for having sex with their girlfriends before they're married. Not openly, at least. We might talk about it, but we don't openly say that's wrong. Now, that's, that's an issue. Right, what about greed? You know, we, we, as long as you're giving a little, it's okay if you have greed in your life. Right, that, that's, that's kind of how the church in general has accepted these things. And we can go to bigger issues. We can look at homosexuality, which is a divisive issue right now. Because there's some churches that are like, yes, it's okay. And there's other churches like, no, it's not. Right? And it's about what we're accepting as sin. And what we're saying is, it's okay to do these sins. Right? And that's a problem. Right? We should never want... I say that to say this, okay? We are all sinners, okay? And, and I understand that we struggle with different things, uh, but we should never, as people of God, get to a place in our lives where we're okay with our sins. That's not okay. We need to call sin what it is. It's sin. It's war against God. It's what separates us from God. It's what makes us enemies of God. It's where Jesus came to die for. All right? It's enough for Jesus to come and to give up his perfect life for our freedom from these sins. And so we should never look at our sin ever and say, it's okay. It's acceptable. It doesn't matter. Like, that's not cool. We are called to be holy. We're called to live different lives. We're called to be in the image of God. We are called to imitate Jesus. We're to be more and more like he. And if he was sinless and perfect, we need to strive to be sinless. We cannot be okay with our sins. And I think the division we've seen within churches is over this issue. We, saw, we see it in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul will talk about a guy who's living with his, or who's, who's married to his father's wife, all right? not his mom, okay? Stepmom. All right? And that, Paul says, was deplorable even among the pagans. And yet this church is saying, woohoo, look at us. And it's a sin issue. And they've, it caused division. And so sometimes we get divided as a church over what we find as acceptable over not. Finally, the, the other big one is theological differences. All right, and this is, this is a big one. Paul will write to the Thessalonians, and he'll say, hey, I hear that people are teaching this, that the resurrection's already happened. All right, and and that, that's what they were teaching. And he's like, that's not right. Okay? And it was causing division. It was causing issues. The entire reason why he writes 1 Thessalonians is mainly over this issue. All right? And so he's writing uh, because there's a theological division within the church, and he wants to set it straight. And saying it happens. You know, churches split all the time. Like I said, we have 40,000 different denominations. Most of those are theological differences. Right? We have different theology than other churches. Right? And that's... That's a division, and that shouldn't be. We're called to be united. Uh, so what do we do about all these divisions? And this is where I kind of throw up my hands and say, I don't, I don't know. 
Now, some of these divisions are so deep and rooted that we may not be able to ever bridge them. But I think I, I like uh, C.S. Lewis's thinking on this. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and the entire premise of Mere Christianity is this, is that there's some things within the church that we can agree on. Whether we are Baptists or Presbyterians or, or Catholic or, or, or non-denominationalists, there's some things we can agree on. And I think those are the things that we have to focus on. Now, we have to become people that are bridging the divide. Jesus' prayer in John 17 is that we be one. And that means being one with those who are within our church. That also means being one with those who are outside our church. And I don't want us to miss this. The reason why Jesus says we need to be one at the very end there, verse 21, is so that the world may believe. And I don't want you to miss that. The, the the reason why we are not very successful a lot of times at reaching people for Jesus is because we're so divided within ourselves. I'm not, just not, I'm not saying Kentucky Road is divided. I don't want you to hear that. But I'm saying the church in general is divided. You know, how many people went to your mother or your future in-laws and saw so much fighting amongst the in-laws that you're like, yes, I want to join this family. No, I mean, if you saw so much fighting to where it was just constant battle, unless you really loved the person that you're marrying, you know, you probably were like, yeah, have fun. All right. And that's that's what the world looks at. They see the church constantly fighting with itself. and They're like, yeah, I don't really want any part of that. It's not fun to constantly be fighting. And so we have to understand that this prayer for unity is a prayer that we can reach the world together. And so we have to bridge divides. We have to work on being one with each other within our church and being one with the Christians that are in our community and our world. And that can be tough sometimes. Like I said, there's things that will not be divisible. But I take one of the models of our early Restoration History people, and they said that we are not the only Christians in this world, but we are Christians only. And that needs to be our model here. We are not the only Christians. We need to be one with other Christians, but we're going to only be Christians. We're only calling ourselves Christians. All right, that's, that's what we need. And so my challenge to you is kind of twofold to kind of wrap up these, this, this sermon today. First off, we need to be one with one another. I mean, at, here at Kentucky Road, we need to be one with one another. We uh, believe at the core of who we are as this church is is to be people that are seeking the lost. And to do that effectively, we have to be one with one another. And so there might be some of you who have issues with other people in the church. Maybe you've said something that they've taken wrongly. Maybe they've said something that you've taken wrongly, and it's just caused an issue between you. And so if that's you, if that's your case, then you need to be talking to them. You need to be talking about unity and saying, what can we do to make this better? Because I want this church to grow. I want this church to seek the lost. And to do that, we have to be one. And so whatever it takes, whatever, whatever we need to do to, to try to bridge that, you know, at least make an effort. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be everyone's best friend. All right? That's not what I'm saying. All right? That's, 
that's unrealistic. All right? But we need to be working together with one mind on the issue that really is at hand. And our enemy is not against each other. It's the devil. And so we need to be one with each other. But we also need to be one with other churches. And so maybe your issue isn't necessarily with anybody within our church, but maybe your issue is with other people. You know, they, they, they teach different things, and I understand that. And I'm not saying we have to partner with everybody. I'm not calling for ecumenicalism. That's a big fancy word that you don't need to worry about. All right, I'm not calling for that. All right, what I am calling is that there are people that we can work with to reach Mexico. Because half the people in Mexico don't go to church. Right, and they need to go to church somewhere. Whether that's here or somewhere else, who cares? As long as they're lost, they're being saved. Right, and so that means we need to work where we can work together. And where we can't work together, that's fine. But we need to be bridging divides, being one, reaching the lost together. Because that is the prayer that Jesus called for. And so whichever one of these issues is yours, if there are any of them, I would encourage you to start talking unity, to be one with one another, because that's, that's really what Jesus is praying for, and that's what we need in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Jesus and his words to us to uh, reach the lost, to be one with one another, and I just pray, God, that that is us, that we can not allow petty arguments, not allow the sin issues in our own lives to cause division uh, within your church. We are one body. We need to work together uh, to reach the lost. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, we can be one in you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.